0: This is The Guardian. Hello, I'm Faker Rothers, and welcome to The Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Lace up your trainers, get to the start line, on your marks, wait for the beep. Yep, that's right, the title race is on. Manchester City's win over Chelsea means things just got even more interesting. Three points separates the top four WSL sides while Reading and Brighton give themselves a teeny bit more breathing space at the bottom. We'll take you through another epic women's football weekend. Take your questions and that's today's Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Well what an outstanding panel we have today. Susie Rack, I don't quite know where to start with you. I'm going to start with the short answer first. Another poll, this time on nose piercing.
1: <laughs> I'm booked for midday.
0: Really? When? Yeah, going to
1: get my nose pierced at midday.
0: Today? Yeah. So by the time people listen to this pod, you will have a nose piercing? Yeah, full-on midlife
1: crisis is is in and I, I'm just embracing it. Like I'm just going for it.
0: Wow, unbelievable. I mean, I'm surprised you're even talking to us though, you know, with your... Your kind of private jets and uh, new friends, and <laughs> thought you might be ditching us.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm living the high life now, getting a lift back from France by Chelsea. But yeah,
0: all fun and games. Fun and ga- I want to know the experience. What was the plane like? Was it like blue velvet on every single seat? Please tell me more.
1: <laughs> no, I did have the Chelsea logo on the backs of the seats, but it was uh, it was pretty chill actually because everyone would, I think was pretty exhausted after the game because we literally went straight from the match to the airport. I don't usually do this, by the way. It's because uh, of the general strike in France the next day. So they very, 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 very kindly offered a lift back, which was very nice.
0: That's amazing. Did that come from Emma Hayes? She was worried about you all, wasn't she? Yeah, after the press conference, she, uh, she was very
1: worried about how we were getting home, which was very nice, and they realised they had one space. And the other journalists very kindly suggested that I go because I've got a kid, which was lovely. And my son was very appreciative because it meant I got back in time to take him to watch Matilda the Musical.
0: Oh, my God. I mean, what a day. What a, know, right? what a day. And then, and then you begin this week getting your nose pierced. Love it. Uh, Robin Cowan, please tell me no midlife crisis for you. Well, I think
2: that, <laughs> that's for others to um, to judge. I had an excellent weekend, I've got to say, because I thought we're losing an hour. I will take up the offer of a hotel doing the Manchester City game. So leave my husband to deal with that, um, with the toddler. Um, so I thought, all right, I'll take in the Manchester United game as well. Could I have a media ticket? They only gave me hospitality, Faye. Oh, oh hello. I, I timed my run into the box absolutely perfectly this weekend. And um, what a weekend it was. So, yeah, although I'm paying for it now, I've indulged rather a lot. So me and Susie... <laughs> Yeah, we're, living, we're both living the high life at the moment.
0: Absolutely. When you said you've paid for it, I thought they'd sent you the invoice
2: off. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> I think that'll be even more painful than uh, my waistline,
0: yeah. <laughs> Anita, I mean, how do you even top those two weekends?
3: Uh, it was a brilliant weekend of football. Um, obviously, I'm extremely happy because my side, Bristol City, women won uh, against Southampton to give us a bit more breathing room. So, um, yeah, it was really good. Um, I was obviously at the Chelsea game as well. um, And obviously it was just a brilliant atmosphere and a really good game. So I have no complaints my end because when I'm around football, I'm always happy.
0: And you actually have your nose pierced, don't you? I
3: do. I sort of went through my midlife crisis
0: much earlier, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) You you did it at a normal age, basically. (laughs) (laughs) You will not be pressurising me to do that. And I've got a sneaky (laughs) suspicion you won't be trying to convince Robin Cowan either. Um, Right. So you were all at the Academy Stadium, some in uh, in more salubrious surroundings than others, perhaps. It is very tight at the top of the table, isn't it? Just three points separating the top four teams after Manchester City's 2-0 win over Chelsea on Sunday lunchtime. Goals from Philippa Angle, Dahl and Lauren Hemp in the first half meant it was a comfortable win in the end for City and they now find themselves joint top with Manchester United. Um, Susie, bearing in mind um, how you returned from France, was this a performance that was more a case of City being good or Chelsea being bad? Are you able to give us now an unbiased (laughs) (laughs) response to that?
1: I was literally thinking about this earlier and I think it was very much both. Like, I thought City pressed really well, were really aggressive and just relentlessly um, harassing Chelsea, not giving them a minute of time on the ball, uh, which was really successful. And then Chelsea just looked sluggish. But I think they have all season to a certain extent uh, and have just been not lucky is the wrong word, but they're so strong that to a certain extent, they can get away with not necessarily being completely fluid all the time in the way that we've maybe like, you know, the sort of like rollicking football we've seen them play in the last couple of seasons where they just look completely unstoppable. I don't think they've ever looked that at any point in this season. But this past couple of weeks, you've just seen a number of things come together that have just been a bit too much. So obviously you've still not got Fran and Panilla. Then you've got the heavy schedule of playing Leon back-to-back European champions sandwiching this city result not long after they've had the Connie Cup final defeat to Arsenal as well. And then you've got the injury to Millie Bright and Lyon the other day. I'm worried about them against Leon. I'm worried about them against Aston Villa next weekend. You know, when you see Millie injured and potentially Aaron Cuthbert as well, although Emma Hayes insists they're fine, although I'm not convinced based on the pain in etched in Aaron Cuthbert's face when she was down, and I think I think it's more like a culmination of all those things coming together and just being one thing too many that's like disrupted their performances. But like you can't take anything away from City. I thought they were brilliant. I thought Hasagawa was incredible.
0: Yeah, she was. I'm going to get to her in in a second because it, it felt Robin as if City's game plan seemed to be sit back and wait for Chelsea to make a mistake. Both goals. Were them pouncing on Chelsea errors in the first place and, and Chelsea maybe a bit too slow to react? Yeah, and obviously
2: the finishing was amazing. Both of them were really good. It was interesting because, well, in a way, it was quite similar to City's win at the Academy Stadium against Arsenal. They were just front foot, not letting them out, and they thoroughly deserved the win. I think what was more surprising was that just the lack of response from Chelsea and they, City were just so comfortable. Gareth Taylor even said afterwards he never really felt worried about it and that's pretty damning. It's like the Conti Cup final with Chelsea. Emma Hayes makes a change early on and it had no effect and it was the same this week. So, yeah, it's worrying. And um, I agree with Susie that actually we, we always talk about Chelsea's depth and they don't really have much now. You know, Penilla Harder, Frank Kirby. And I do just wonder in hindsight whether letting Beth England go in January was maybe not the best idea. I know, obviously, I think it's better for her. She's playing and she's scoring and it's, you know, it's good for her. But they really are a bit light now, which is not something
0: you say about Chelsea. No, it really isn't. And as Robin said, the two substitutions after just 35, 36 minutes, Anita, Sophie Ingle and, and Lauren James, the players to make way, what effect did that have on the team and her players?
3: I don't know if it had much effect, to be honest. Obviously, they weren't having enough influence in the game. And that's why Emma Hayes decided to make those changes. But obviously, normally you expect the the subs to come in and have impact or give energy. And I think because the team was just so disjointed and didn't really have a foothold in the game, it made it even more challenging for those players to come in and have impact because they didn't have another plan. When I watched Chelsea, they were quite direct throughout the game. You know, they tried to build out the their back line a few times and realised, you know, they were getting high pressed and were turning over possession So they're playing long into Sam Kerr and it felt like the only hope of them creating chances of scoring was through Erin connecting with Sam or a long direct ball. So um, I think it was really hard for those uh, players like Neve Charles coming into a winger position to try and get up the pitch because they didn't have any real solid possession either. So like Susie said before, I think it was compounded by the fact they have got all these challenges in terms of the schedule, you know, missing personnel, but also I think mental fatigue. I don't think you can underestimate the, you know, traveling, preparing across a week for, you know, a a Champions League game and then a very top fixture in your domestic league. Sometimes the players, it just can affect you physically in a way you don't even know um, how to explain. And I think we saw some of that in the game.
0: Yeah, I think some of the women's football journos can probably attest to that this week after the amount of travelling, Susie. But Emma Hayes herself blamed fatigue and, and tiredness and certainly you, you could see that. But are there also maybe specific tactical issues going on or is it purely down to lack of personnel and and tiredness?
1: I mean, I think the tiredness is a big part of it. And uh, it is funny to hear Emma say that it's down to tiredness when, you know, like literally a few weeks ago, she's going, oh, I love it when we've got three games a week. I kind of like, I relish it. These are times for." And now it's like, oh yeah, it's too much. You know, it's interesting how managers change uh, their views week on week, depending on results. I mean, I think, yeah, very tactically lacking performance. And that is what has worried me most for Chelsea against Arsenal in the Conti Cup as well. Like it's been so long since I've seen a Chelsea team not have an answer or not be able to find an answer, not be able to work it out themselves on the pitch and then not have their manager be able to work it out as well. And like the the changes in the first half in this added in the Conti Cup final, like just looked a little bit desperate rather than necessarily very fought through. I mean Lauren James, she wasn't getting on the ball enough, but she was their brightest attacking outlet in that that opening period for me. And that felt Strange. I mean, maybe it was to get a little bit more control back in the midfield with Hasagawa dominating so magnificently. Like maybe Neve Charles offers a little bit more support to Erin than Lauren James is able to provide. You know, she's still working on her defensive and midfield game. You know, she plays a, a little bit of a different way to maybe uh, they needed in that moment, but it just felt like an odd decision when... She's one of the few players that can dig you out of a hole when you need it. So I think Emma Hayes will be caught out tactically in this game and against Arsenal. But for me, the bigger worry was the fact that the players weren't able to do it themselves Um, because I can't remember the last time we saw a Chelsea side fall behind and not look like they have a reply. That, That, for me,
0: was the biggest worry for them. And actually, this question stands out to me in that case because... Seb sent a question into us saying, "Does Chelsea's performance against City show how integral Millie Bright is to the team, not just defensively but offensively, with her long-range passing and ability at set pieces?" Anita, and it's not just that; it's the leadership on the pitch, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think when I watched Chelsea, I felt that
3: Man City dominated them, um, as we've all said tactically, but you know they were tidier in possession, and Millie being in that centre back position. She just solid. She thinks like a defender. She senses danger. She anticipates problems and she can relieve pressure because of her range of passing. So in a game like this, when you don't have the ball, just turning the opposition <laughs> and getting someone like Sam stretching in behind is what Chelsea have had a lot of success with actually. And they've managed to suffer and cope when they haven't had um, the ball um, and manage, you know, uh, being out of position and and waiting for those moments to pounce and create opportunities. And, and I think you could really see that they didn't have a single player that could just solve the problem in Man City's press by just playing beyond it at times and that's what Millie will definitely do for you and in looking at the two goals they conceded I think not having Millie there to sort of direct and lead and push people out and also just make tackles and show her presence it kind of impacts the players around her normally and you could really feel that watching the game because both goals were inside the 18 or around the 18-yard box and not one player has rushed out to the line of the ball or even got any kind of pressure. And I just think those are situations where you normally would trust Millie or someone uh, you know, with her there to lead that as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you could like say how integral Millie Bright is on the basis of if you're a Mad City player looking at the team sheet and her name isn't there and instead it's Buchanan and Magda Erickson, you're thinking... Okay, we game on, right? Like we can put these under under pressure. Like, and no offense to Buchanan, I think she like is a great defender and has got potential to be really good in WSL. But she has not had the best start to her career in England. Was a, definitely like you know should have done more to clear the ball for the second goal. But you know if you're a forward and you're looking at her alongside Magda, who you know has really had a chance to build up a relationship with yet. Uh, because she's been playing alongside Millie so uh, consistently this season, you're 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 rubbing your hands,
0: right? Yeah. So I think the answer to your question, Seb, is yes. She is <laughs> integral to the Chelsea team. Robin, Susie mentioned Yui Hasagawa a couple of times there. I mean, and so much of what City do well comes from her. Protects the ball, gets them up the pitch. It, it really feels as if she's settled into that role at the base of midfield, like she's always played there. I mean.
2: There were times on Sunday where she left me speechless, which obviously isn't great because of what I was trying to <laughs> Commentator.
0: do. Commentator. She just,
2: just make the right decision every time. And the fact that she, what I mean, I always love when you see diminutive players up against big ones, but she just knows, as you mentioned, the way she shields the ball. She's got two, three players around her and somehow manages to wriggle out of that tight situation. It's just an absolute joy to watch. And obviously, you know, Japanese players and sort of Asian players, South Korea are the same. They're just, technically, they are just on another level. They seem to have like a telepathic understanding and with their teammates and just know what to do. But she was just a joy to watch. And I don't think it's a coincidence that they lost the first two games. They've not lost in the WSL since she's come in. You know, losing Kira Walsh was huge, absolutely huge. And she's not the same player, but... God, I mean, what, what a replacement. And she's, yeah, a bit like sort of Kim Little. She's so hard to get the pull off that one asset to have in your team, and especially in the midfield, because that's where they just totally dominated.
1: Yeah, one of the things it made me think about was um, that battle between her and, I mean, obviously a few players in there, but her and Erin in particular really exposed... How much Erin still has to develop in that position in the centre, right? Like, she's not really played there consistently until this season. She's been brilliant against Leon. She was fabulous. Um, like, really, all action, absolutely everywhere. But up against the very, very, very best technical midfielders, Kim Little in the Conti Cup final, and then uh, Hasegawa against City... And she's really struggled to impose herself and play her game the way she likes to play it because they are just so technically good that she struggles to, to do that. And don't get me wrong, she's got brilliant technical quality as her goal against the old show. But yeah, she really, she's got so much potential in that position. But we're, I think she's still quite young and we're quite quick to maybe assume that like she's almost, because she puts in such good performances that she's almost like that a dusted Finished product, whereas I think she's still very much growing into that role. I think it's important to mention the
2: sort of renaissance of Laura Coombs as well, who oh, was, yeah. you know, very much a squad player, didn't really get a look in under the previous, well, in the previous season because it was such an established midfield. And she's just been brilliant. I'm so pleased for her that she's got called up to England because she she'll be a real asset. And again, she had put in a really good performance again against former team on Sunday.
0: Yeah, and somebody else whose performances perhaps warrant a recall. Uh, By the way, we're recording this pod before Serena Wiegmann makes her latest squad announcements. We don't know if Laura Coombs is in it, but she was called up to the last one. But Anita, Steph Horton, obviously we know her backstory, former England captain. uh, But her performances against Arsenal and Chelsea have been fantastic. Could she potentially ever force her way back into England's squad?
3: Yeah, I don't see why not. You know, I think um, sport in general has a tendency to write people off <laughs> ahead of their time just when they have um, difficult moments or injuries and things like that. Um, it's all about what you see with the eye and the influence and impact the individual is having. And you can see that Steph is having an immense impact on this Man City team, especially when she stepped into two massive games for them. When, you know, earlier in the season, none of us was talking about Man City being in this position in terms of a title race. So I think you can never underestimate experience and leadership and her positioning, you know, she's a superb defender when it comes to positioning and and reading the right moments to be in the right situations, because it's not all about speed all the time. It's not always, you know, she had Sam Kerr, who is a player who's difficult to play against, who stretches games, who's quick enough to do that. But they managed it to the point that you didn't even notice the Chelsea uh, attackers in the game. So at the end of the day, it's up to Serena in terms of what she thinks will have the most impact for her squad going forward um, and what things she would need at the time. And obviously, between now and the end of the season, a lot can happen for certain individuals. So you can never rule that out. And as long as she's informed, she's put herself in
0: contention and that's all that really matters. Absolutely. Um, Let's look at this in terms of the context of the title race and the season as a whole, shall we, Susie? Because... How much is this defeat going to impact Chelsea's season, both in terms of their match against Lyon on Thursday and and the title race as a whole?
1: It's hard to say, isn't it? Because they're still technically in the driving seat in the Women's Super League, right? Like one point behind, game in hand. It's still theirs. They have the kindest run-in of all of the top four in that they play Arsenal, whereas Arsenal have to play Man City, Chelsea and United. United and City have to play Arsenal and each other. So right in that sense, you think, well, it's theirs to lose to a certain extent. And like this Chelsea team of recent seasons has been so relentlessly good regardless of how well they're doing to a certain extent at, at winning and getting the job done when it matters. And almost like relishing it when they're sort of slightly underdog status that you could very much see it not being too much of a problem. That said, I think the game against Lyon is a huge one. Um, really difficult at Stamford Bridge only got the one goal lead and then they've got this game against Aston Villa that's the one that is like really mouth-watering for me is them coming straight off the back of this defeat to City then this really tough game to Leon, and then they play like let's face it the 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 league's informed team who are just relentless in their attack and yeah, I I think they could cause them real problems, and that's where it's going to start to get interesting. Obviously, I mean, you can say the same about Arsenal. In the you know, Arsenal win all their games, they play all the top, the other top four, they with the league. So to a certain extent, you could say it's it, there's a lot resting on that Chelsea Arsenal game on the penultimate day of the season. But yeah, like for me, in terms of Chelsea's games coming up, the game against Arsenal is obviously one, but the game against Villa next weekend, like, is just. Ooh, uh, yeah, I'm quite excited for that.
0: Yeah, I'm very excited about that. But Jim Hearson, Robin, has sent in a, a question about whether the competitiveness of the WSL might actually help both Chelsea and Arsenal in the UEFA Women's Champions League. Do you think it pushes them to be better when you know they've got games against teams outside of the, the top four now that, that are really tough? Or, or does it start to become a little bit of a distraction?
2: I don't know. That's That's a... That's a difficult one to answer because you could say if Chelsea had faced someone else other than City this weekend, they probably could have just got through without Millie Bright, without you know playing that well, and they didn't because they faced a Manchester City side who were extremely motivated, haven't been knocked out of the FA Cup. I mean, it's great obviously for the league to have all these competitive games, and probably does keep them a little bit more sharp for Europe, but yeah in terms of being able to maybe rotate a little bit more maybe you can't do that as much but i don't think that's a bad thing because it's it's all about the kind of i hate the word but the sort of product on show we want the wsl to be competitive we don't want to see these ridiculous score lines and thankfully they are becoming less you know less frequent i don't think any manager would say it damages the chances of performing in europe i guess the only
0: thing is you you know you can't really take your foot off the gas. That's the only thing. And Anita, you've played in, in the WSL for, for a number of years. Is this the most competitive title race we've ever seen? I mean, we've obviously had three-way battles in the past, but I think four teams really gunning for it is is new and very exciting.
3: Yeah, I, I definitely think it is the most competitive uh, season, um, which is great for the WSL, great for the, the spectators and the audiences as well. In terms of it being more competitive, as you said before, and affecting Champions League and things like that, I don't see that as an issue, really. I think that just makes the players better. I think they want more competitive games. They want to drive their levels. Um, yes, it takes more in terms of your physical outputs, so your mental a- application. But um, in general, it's just improving the women's game as a whole. But yeah, I think it's the... The best season, I'm enthralled by it. It's been great to to be involved in
0: watching and covering the games. Can't wait to see how it ends up. I know, it's going to be very exciting. Top and bottom are so close. That's it for part one. In part two, we will look at the bottom and the rest of the goings-on in the WSL. Welcome back to part two of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. So elsewhere across Women's Football Weekend, there was the small matter of a North London derby. Arsenal dealt with that very convincingly. It finished Tottenham 1, Arsenal 5. Early goals from Black Blackstenius and Caitlin Ford, giving them a 2-0 lead. Beth England did pull one back, from the spot for Tottenham, but there were more goals to come from Kim Little, Caitlin Ford again and Frieda Marner, making this uh, pretty laid back and comfortable for Jonas side of our side in the end, Susie. Um when Beth England scored that penalty to make it 2-1, were you worried at all? No. <laughs>
1: um, and it's rare that I'm not worried as like as an Arsenal fan, particularly of the past like decade, I would say, like men's and women's being worried has been like a prerequisite. But no, very much untroubled. I think the man, like the style of the performance, the manner of Tottenham's week on week collapse at the moment, men's and women's, um, is. Are you revelling in this season? Just a little, I mean, we've got to take it, right? Wouldn't
2: you love Vicky Jepsen to go full Conte? That would be amazing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That would be hilarious. From top
2: to bottom, this is.
1: Oh, you no, know, I feel do. I feel for Vicky because like it's a really difficult position to be put in so late in the season. Um, she's a good manager. She's and what's rubbish for her is that she's only ever been put in a managerial position when things have basically gone to pot. Um, you know, Liverpool it was chaos after Neil Redfern leaving so early on into the season. She you know doesn't last long there. Then it's now Spurs, Rianne Skinner going so late in the season, them in real trouble in the league, and she's thrown in there. I mean, if there's someone who deserves a shot with a decent team and a transfer window and a bit of a budget, it's her. Because like, how can you possibly have your like managerial credentials judged on those two uh, stints in charge? Like, obviously, don't know how long she'll stay like in charge at Spurs for who they'll be looking to bring in or whatever. But yeah, I feel like it's a really, really hard position to be in. But yeah, Arsenal relentless. And I think it's really good that Sina Blackstenia scored from open play in a really convincing manner because like a lot of people thought that, oh, the Chelsea Conte Cup final would be the turning point for her. She scored in that and hadn't necessarily been making the most of her chances prior to that. But I think there was quite a bit of good fortune in that goal against Chelsea with the ball sort of clipping off the back of Magda Eriksson's foot into her path. It was almost luck that she was in the right position at the right time for that. Whereas, you know, this uh, was a little bit different. You know, she made a really good run. She finished really well. And I, f- I feel like she sort of needed a complete goal, if that makes sense. Um, again, like in a high profile situation, um, a North London derby is that regardless of how well Spurs
0: are doing. Yeah, so Steena Blaxthenia is kind of coming into her own a little bit more, Anita, but Caitlin Ford's been exceptional this month. She seems to have really taken on the bulk of the attacking responsibility lately.
3: I think she's been exceptional all season, actually. I think, um, obviously, in a team like Arsenal, previously when Miedema was available and players like that, you can get lost in all the names but I think she's just stepped up, taken responsibility. She's just so hard to to play against because she can cut you inside. She can dribble you outside. She can assist uh, and and deliver in the box, but she's hungry for goals as well. And you can see, you know, she hit the post in the Champions League midweek a couple of times, but she wants to be the one to, to sort of be the focal point when needed for her team to make things happen and carry the ball. And she's so good at finding space, whether she stretches you and she hugs the touch, you know, the width gives you width. Um, she stretches teams She come inside and play inside and create overloads and dribble at you. But she's so quick and I've played against her. She can roll you. She's powerful. Uh, and that's what makes her really difficult to, to come up against. But what a revelation she's been for Arsenal as well this season.
0: Yeah, she really has. Um, Robin Bayern comes to the Emirates on Wednesday with a 1-0 lead, even if maybe Arsenal feel they deserved something from the first leg. But they also got a really important win at the weekend, beating Wolfsburg 1-0 with a Georgia-Stanway penalty, which means that they go top of the Frauen-Bundesliga. So who comes out on top in this quarterfinal for you? Well... I thought Arsenal were
2: excellent against Bayern in the first leg and they just couldn't score. Unfortunately, this has happened quite a lot this season. It's like feast or famine. They either score 5-6 or they just don't score at all. But I think if they perform like they did in the first leg, I think they can go through, but they need to find the back of the net. Thankfully, I think the Spurs game was probably the best one for them to have and they were you know, banging them in. Some absolutely fantastic goals and that will just give them a lot of confidence. So, I mean, I I think it's going to be tight again. But as I said, if they can perform to that level, I think they can do it. They really can. It's just they need to be a bit more precise with their finishing against maybe a better team. Just Spurs are just very easy to score against, which is it's just yeah that that that's the problem. And just on like, yeah, Vicky Jepsen, I agree, with Susie. I feel so bad for her, but I just I just wonder like. The tide isn't going to turn under her management, I don't think, because they were on a bad run. But it was interesting when Ryan Skinner was sacked, the outpouring from the players,
0: they clearly felt quite bad. I need to say something on that because it was pointed out to me by somebody that actually not all the players did that. No, well, you're never going to have all the players, are you? But I think, I think the narrative was very much that everybody was behind her and I'm not mm. entirely sure whether that was actually true. Well, Vicky Jepsen was
2: part of that. So is this going to be... What my point is, is, is she going to make a huge difference? But I do feel he, she's been given an absolute hospital pass. I agree with that.
3: Yeah, I agree. I I mean, like you mentioned before, she's been in a similar situation. So the only a silver light, you know, shiny light in this is the fact that she's experienced it before. So hopefully she has some of the tools to deal with keeping the team spirit up. You know, I've been in a relegation battle. It's really hard mentally on everybody, Um, keeping the team together and they stick together. They'll have some games that they really can fight for results in. And that's really what she has to do is keep the, the team together and make them pragmatics, you know, try and get some clean sheets if possible, um, and they'll always have a chance. But what I was going to say was about Arsenal and, and Bayern. I think I agree. I think Arsenal, especially in that first half, played really well. They put so much pressure in and around that Bayern box and just couldn't find that clinical finish. Um, the only thing I would say for them is in defence, they got to be uh, alert to Schula. I think she was a threat <laughs> throughout the game. Um, even when you you don't think you're comfortable in possession, there's a, she just creates shots from distance, from nowhere, and, and opportunities. And I always say with Arsenal, it's the crossing situations, set-piece situations is where they look the most vulnerable. So they just have to be astute to that because we know any German side I've ever played against, that is the one thing that they will hone in on uh, as their sort of bread and butter.
0: What I find really fascinating about these quarterfinal second legs is they are the definition of being finely poised because every single one of them, there's just a one goal margin in it. So Wolfsburg are one up against Paris Saint Germain, Barcelona are one up against Roma, as well as Chelsea having the advantage and Arsenal obviously trailing. So it's going to be really fascinating to see who makes the semi finals. Exciting times um, from one. Derby to another. On Merseyside, the points were shared. Everton won, Liverpool won. Katie Stengel's goal cancelled out. Gabby George's spectacular early crot. I can never say that word properly without... It's just, it's just a weird word, isn't it? Crot. Susie, what was your highlight here? I mean... Sky interviewing Matt Beard during the match. I mean, we've seen this before in, in the National League. I'm not entirely sure whether I'm on board with it. Or or was it actually the, the WSL's most bizarrely ruled out goal of the season?
1: Uh well, I like Gabby George's goal, regardless of whether it was a cross or a shot, was a beautiful thing to see. Um, And, like, nice for Everton to take the lead at Goodison for the occasion for Women's Football Weekend for them as a club after um, being beaten quite comprehensively by Liverpool last time they played at Goodison. But, uh, yeah, the ruled-out goal. I mean, I was thinking about it, and I was, like, watching the highlights as well and saying, oh, you know, these, these like, played on every single week, but the goalkeeper is impeded, right? Like, I was thinking, should that n- not be given every week? And I just, yeah, I don't know. I, I felt a little bit of sympathy for the goalkeeper in that situation and for the decision of the referee in that, yes, it's it's not a, a decision you see regularly. But I did think there was like, maybe, maybe, I'm not saying it necessarily 100%. I did not watched it as closely enough maybe to be quite like, you know, 100% this is completely legitimate. But like, I thought, She was maybe impeded enough for there to be a legitimate case for it to be ruled out. But, you know, maybe Anita is like a defender... Uh, me sticking up for defenders and <laughs> the difficulties of, of, of the goalkeepers face is like, is going to be on my side on this one. I don't know.
3: Well, if I was Everton, of course, I'd be happy with that decision. But <laughs> but <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I actually thought, I thought it was a bit soft, to be honest. I felt like the, I see goalkeepers wrestling people in the box all the time and getting the benefit of the doubt. And I just felt like she had a slight arm across her. She could have done more to fight and win that space. And she didn't. So for me, it was fine. But, you know, like you said, it's fine margins. Really difficult when there's that many bodies in the box as well for referees uh, as well. But uh, I did feel for Liverpool. I thought they were hard done by.
0: Mm, Both of these teams guaranteed safety at this point, though, Anita. Anita. Uh, what's it like as a player when suddenly it feels as if you don't really have a huge amount to play for i mean you could put west ham in that in that bracket as well i suppose it's better than fighting relegation but equally you know the old adage is you've already got one foot on the beach
3: <laughs> well you 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 know as a player i think you always play for a sense of pride anyway you know for yourself for your club for your fans and for them they'll just want to make sure that they can keep producing good performances uh, and so that they have something to build on for next season and keep on improving. These games matter, you know, the Derby games, especially. There's a sense of you you win something there, don't you? Um, bragging rights. So, <laughs> you know, that's something players also want to be able to do. But for Liverpool, for example, I think Van der Sanden was exceptional when she came in. You know, Matt Beard talked about her not being at... 100% capacity yet. She's still got so many levels to come. Well, that's exciting. That's exciting for the club, exciting for the players to know that, you know what, when we get everyone fit, we have, you know, players that can make a m- massive difference and impact the game. I think Liverpool have looked quite solid and steady uh, this season, having been the first season, you know, back in WSL. So lots of positives there, but all I can say to any team that's floating in the middle of the pack, it's always better to, to, to be there or obviously at the top than in a relegation battle. Nothing will compare to the stress of being in a relegation battle. And it's a good baseline to at least keep projecting and, and developing from.
0: Yeah, I'm sure um, Paul Konczewski will think that as well with West Ham, although he wasn't particularly happy with their 4-0 loss to Manchester United at Old Trafford. It was a real second half showing from United. Goals from Katie Zellum, Lucia Garcia and Hayley Ladd means that they're top on goal difference, as I said earlier. And actually, the introduction of Lucia Garcia, Robin, really invigorated the game, didn't it? Is there a sense maybe, though, that Mark Skinner still doesn't really know his best front three? I think the general criticism of
2: Mark Skinner has been that he's not Kind of blooded the new players at all, you know you see the bench and they've got a lot of new signings that we've barely seen and i don't I don't feel it's our well I certainly feel it's my place to criticize them because we don't see them every day in training, but Lucia Garcia made the difference she had so much energy she's a fantastic finisher, and even though um Nikita Paris had you know she had a couple of very good sort of entries into the penalty area she's very dynamic you know good on the ball she just added a little bit more I think I mean United raised their game after the bit of a toothless first half so generally as a collective they were better but she just seems a bit more effective at the moment uh, Lucia Garcia and um, kind of a bit scary in front of goal. you know you think oh, okay if She's on the ball and it was really good finish. Great assist from Ella Toon for the first one. Absolutely fantastic. I mean, the the concern, best players for Man United, Russo, again, was brilliant and Ona Badger and neither of
0: them will probably be there next season. So this is an issue. It is an issue, isn't it? It's one we've spoken about before as well. And, and actually what also might be an issue, Susie, is... Manchester United are the least experienced of all four of the title contenders, if you like. How are they going to deal with the run-in, do you think? I think
1: with difficulty <laughs> it is probably the nicest way to put it. Obviously, the games against uh, City and Arsenal are absolutely huge. Got the FA Cup as well. That's not necessarily the worst thing in the world, but it, it gives City an advantage for me, who have got real momentum behind them at the moment and are on an incredible run. I'm really struggling on top three and who is mm. going to finish outside that top three at the moment. I don't know about you guys. I'm really, really struggling uh, with that. And uh, Man United could win the title or they could finish fourth. Like That's the reality of the situation at the moment. And handling that pressure is a big test of whether they like key to whether they can do it or not. But I'm on the fence, fame,
0: I'm unsure. Splinters. <laughs> splinters. I mean, I'm sure you're on the fence as well in terms of relegation battle. And, and and this made things even more interesting, although perhaps not from a Leicester point of view, but Reading 2, Brighton 2. Brighton taking a two-goal lead through via Triki Emma Harry's though, super sub. Second half, two goals, meaning that Reading took a point away. How damaging, Anita, could this be for Brighton to, to give up a two-goal lead like that? Well, I've, I've been there with Villa, so
3: so I know. Or well, it feels like you, you you think, oh, it's over. Like, what, what's going on? What do we have to do to get the result? Especially when you're 2-0 up, you're full of confidence. You're scoring goals again, which is really important for the team. And then you concede. But ultimately, they'll be disappointed of uh, the two sides to not come away with three points. But they also have to see this as a, a, a stepping stone again. You're scoring goals can you replicate the performance and learn from that game? Learn, you know, in the in the moments where to to manage the game better in those situations and not have allowed Reading to find a way back into the game. So you know they'll be going away, I think, analysing the game where they conceded, how they conceded those goals, and trying to be much more um, compact and, and robust in those situations to, to manage it. Uh, but yeah, they'll be the the more disappointed out of the two sides, definitely, to have not got three points.
0: Yeah, Robin, we talk about Reading's never-say-die mentality. What a boost for them. Well, again, yeah, they
2: seem to be very good at this. I mean, it's not great they keep going behind, but the fact they have that spirit and clearly, you know, Kelly Chambers knows the team and the club inside out. So uh, I kind of, even though they're very much in it because of her, I, I keep saying this, I think they'll be okay. And they, against all the odds, I really do. And the fact that they can, it's not like, oh, if they've gone behind, that's it. They can come back. And I think that's a really good quality to have. The only thing is, I'd say, you know, the well, for both sides, the goals were really poor, weren't they? I think particularly for Brighton, they were both crosses, weren't they? And just not dealing with them properly. So that'll be a big disappointment. So, yeah, I mean, it again, it's quite hard, quite hard to call. But I guess we'll get on to Leicester, who, again, shipped a lot of goals. So I think ob- ob- clearly... They're in the worst position.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. And and actually, just one point on on Reading. I always feel, and this is really awful for the for the players on the pitch. So I'm sorry for saying this. I don't mean it disrespectfully, but it does. Whenever we talk about Reading, feel as if it's very much a one woman team, and that one woman is Kelly Chambers that's going to get them out of this situation. Um, Aston Villa five, Leicester City nil. Those are those goals uh, shipped, as Robin said. Another emphatic result from Villa. Susie, They just seem unstoppable right now. And you mentioned at the top how they could potentially affect the title race, which is going to be fascinating. Rachel Daly on the score sheet. Again, Alicia Lehman, Ken Zadali as well. Uh, Jim says, uh, this sounds very Max Rushton, by the way, when I'm about to deliver this. I know it was only Leicester, but there were moments when Villa looked bloody good.
1: (laughs) Um, Very, very well Max Rushton.
2: Don't you need to say that was a good goal, wasn't it,
3: Susie? That was very good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, like, I think Villa could play a pretty big role in the title outcome. You know, they play Chelsea straight off, they play Lyon, they play Man United and they play Arsenal on the final day of the season. Like they are three massive games and with the way Rachel Daly, Kenza Daly, Alicia Lehman are all playing at the moment in particular, Mas Pacheco, like there's a lot of momentum there. They look really good. They look really well organised. They're playing with belief and they are going to enjoy taking scalps like they are going to really relish in it. So, I, yeah, a I, huge, huge part to play in the in the outcome of the title race. Like if you're looking at, uh, you know, at games beyond the ones between the top four, those are the ones to watch.
0: Susie Rack. She's very good, isn't she? Championship <laughs> drama. Unbelievable. Fresh off their impressive win over Bristol City, London City Lionesses then went and lost 3-0 away to Durham. Uh, Charlton also lost ground following a midweek draw with Blackburn and another draw at the weekend with Sunderland. Uh, Lewis came from a goal down to win 3-2 at Sheffield United. Crystal Palace beat Blackburn 1-0 and Birmingham won 1-0 at Coventry. But... A spectacular finish from Fionn Morgan saw Bristol City beat Southampton by a goal to nil, extending their lead at the top of the table to six points. And bearing in mind, we had a London City Lioness on last week. It seems only fair to get the Bristolian perspective. How confident are you feeling, Anita?
3: Yeah, I think we are just looking at each game as they come. We have Sheffield United next.
0: Oh, no cliches on this (laughs) No, 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 no.
3: Um, no, I would say confident. We knew, um, you know, after the London City defeat that we still had a lot of work to do um, as a team. And again, Southampton was a very difficult game. They're a young side with lots of energy, really disciplined, really hard to break down, hadn't conceded many goals this season. Uh, so we knew we'd have to work hard and and, and the result really shows us how tight that game was because they created chances on us as well. And thankfully, Fran Bentley was exceptional in goal once again for us. So I think every game in the championship is so hard to predict. Um, and we know we have to be at our best, um, especially in in attack to get the results. And, you know, we were very fortunate that Fion Morgan uh, scored an unbelievable goal uh, this weekend to put us in a, in a great position. And we know we're in a great position, uh, but we have to just stay focused on our process.
2: Can I have a shout out for Oxford United women who are second in the um Southern National League? They are two points behind Ipswich with two games in hand and unbeaten at home this season and well on their way to promotion, hopefully. Although they have to do they have to do a playoff, don't they, with the the north.
0: Yeah, so. yeah. The structure needs looking at. And I think it is being looked at for sure because it gets so complicated, doesn't it, towards the, the back end of the season. But good luck, Oxford, for definite. Did you see that there were uh, almost 10,000 fans at Wrexham? Fantastic. Um, the biggest uh, attendance for incredible. A, a Welsh league. And actually, we've not mentioned attendances at all. In this pod and I'm quite delighted about that because it does get a bit tedious after a while but good attendances across the leagues um, for sure. Uh, the other thing I want to ask you Susie because we, we've not mentioned this yet and it's a good place to, to finish on we saw Kerris Harrop and Kate Longhurst both equaling Jilly Flaherty's record of 177 WSL appearances this weekend two players who firmly established themselves as WSL Hall of Famers for sure.
1: Oh 100% I mean like what incredible records and achievements! I didn't even realize WSL had been playing that long. Like that's uh, that's how how impressive it is. Each time a player reaches one of these milestones, it's a huge moment to reflect on how far the game has come. Right as well, like it's transformed in in the time that they've been a player. And if anything, that makes it a more impressive achievement, like than say a men's player breaking an appearance record or something like that, because they've had to go through a whole period of great change to the way they play, their ability to play, like professionalism, coming from the amateur game. And so that's what makes, like the the idea that you've got players playing for that long that started off pretty much with nothing and now are in elite professional environments, hopefully, on the whole, just highlights how, how massive it is.
0: Right, Susie, just one last thing. Your book's out Thursday, isn't it? Yep, Leah Williamson's book,
1: You Have the Power, uh, is out on Thursday and it's like, it's a great book, right? Like when we were working on it, my son who is nine was having a fair few existential crises and issues at school and things and like it was really nice to be working on something that speaks to the crisis of confidence that kids have at that kind of age when they're like really starting to figure out what's right and what's wrong in the world and
0: be emotionally
1: impacted by things kids say in playgrounds and that kind of stuff. And it was really, really nice to, like, try and, with Leah, use her voice to speak to kids about that kind of, like, how you should feel about yourself when you're that kind of age. And that was just really, really, really enjoyable. So, like, I do hope people go out and get it for their kids because I do think it does do that. Like, we tried really hard to make it make kids... Love themselves a little bit and find what they love and not feel put off by it and stuff. And that's it, sounds a bit cliched and cheesy, but I was living it like around Christmas time, he was really struggling. And so it was really nice to try and I, I think you can really underestimate the impact of an outside source because no matter how much I, as a mum, tell my son that his feelings are justified or that someone is wrong or that or say something to make him feel better regardless of how true it is he thinks it's me trying to make him feel better and like having someone else say something like we were listening to the couch to 5k thing together like we were going out for a run me and him and we had joe wiley on and one of the first things she said in her introduction was i was always the kid at the back struggling to keep up and he just looked at me and went that's like me and like and i was like that's the impact right because i've said that to him i've said that loads of people struggle with distance running um, and keeping up and they may be really good athletically in other ways but struggle with that aspect of it and that everyone has different talents sporting wise it doesn't mean you're unfit or unhealthy and all that kind of stuff but it's just me trying to make him feel better when joe wiley says that she went through that on a podcast, he's like oh someone understands so yeah That's gone on way too longer as an outro, but like... I
0: don't think so. I I, I don't think so. I think it's a really important point, actually, Susie, and there's certainly nothing cheesy about it, and I will be going to my bookshop on Thursday. Uh, See you later, Susie. Um, Good luck at midday. (laughs) I need the luck. (laughs) I'm a wimp. Robin, see you later. (laughs) Thanks, Faye. Bye, Anita. Bye, Faye. Thank you. We'll be back next week for the final set of WSL games before we head into the international break. And a reminder you can now email us on Women's Football Weekly at theguardian.com. The Guardian Women's Football Weekly is produced by Lucy Oliver and Jessie Parker Humphreys. Music composition was by Laura Iredale. Our executive producer is Sal Arnad. This is The Guardian.